That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. Dave here. And of course, got my sidekick, Dr. Hello. Michelle Pobega. What's up? Hello, hello. What's going on, Michelle? Oh, enjoying the week off. It's been lovely. It is. It's a, it is lovely. But I'm super excited for our guest. Yeah, we know this. We know this guy. I thought he was we, my boy. No, we go way back. Yeah, he's your boy. Actually. Justin's a way back, play, way back playback for me. Yeah. Well, why, we could we could clarify your history with him before people get the wrong idea. <laughs> we have mutual it's just friends. a weezer concert it was just a, yeah. no we we both grew up in hamilton and we had uh like i was we have mutual friends he was friends with the brother of a friend of mine and then we all just kind of hung out together and it's been like at least over well over a decade now so it's kind of fun probably okay, like 15 16 years it's, it's we, we've gone to some concerts yeah you got me beat yeah. i only known him for a while so why don't you give a little official intro to uh our our naturopathic brother Dr. Justin Galliant, who's who's been on the epi- on uh, episode two, I believe he was on Iron Man. Iron Man. Yeah. Come on, give, a, give to... a little full. Yeah, Michelle, give him a little full me. intro. You yeah. always do the intros. You're throwing me for a loop. I can with introduce this. myself if you want. I don't. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure yeah. out how to share onto my own professional Facebook page, but I think maybe I'll just share it afterwards. Share it after. It's not not uh, happening. Okay, I like this. Here's here's a couple of things I like about Justin Gallant. I like this. He's a health detective and a health educator. I like yes. that. It's on his website, so it's very clear. Um, and he's he's just a damn good clinician, and that's why you're on the Thank show. You. Thank you very much. I'm trying to transition myself into a health optimizer because a health detective has proven to be a very complex, complicated career. <laughs> uh-huh. But I do I do still appreciate complex cases. Um, and I do pride myself in like getting down to the bottom of what's going on, which I know all of us naturopathic doctors do. 
I think that if you're even going to call yourself a health optimizer, you're down for some complex roads. Cause like nothing about getting people back on track in this world is like linear. <laughs> I know this, these yeah. days are, are tough for everybody. It's been yeah. wild. Yeah. Mm. So. Okay. So, uh, Justin, we had you on, like I said, episode two, uh, yeah. I really, it's good it's probably, yeah, it Thank is. You. It's probably one of the, I'd say it's gotta be one of the most important ones. I think we did from a clinician perspective and also for anyone who's got, uh, possible issues with iron. It's a resource that I send people to all the time, but, um, I, I wanted to reach out to you again. So I guess it was in the last month or so I reached out to you. I said, Justin, I want you back on the show. You're the gangster shit. Come on, drop some wisdom with us. And, uh, what did you say? You know, what did you say we should talk about? I said, we should just break down all the different labs and I am a lab addict. Like I love to look at blood work. My eyes light up when I see it. And uh, I recently heard that naturopathic doctors these days don't actually get education in labs, which is what? just at the, like crazy. At the school? Yeah. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that from quite a few different NDs that they do not have a lab class anymore. That's absurd. Crazy. I mean, I know when I came out of, out of school, though, and this was something that I think I had to get over for a long time, even though we did have that education, because we're not OHIP covered, I always found it a, a, an interesting conversation to have with clients to get them on board to pay for that kind of testing when they're like, oh, my doctor can just pay for it. It's nothing unique that you'd provide me. But now I'm getting like over the last few years, I've realized how much more important that is because so much is overlooked and I've become a lot more of a, a, a lab you know, I'm, I'm sending requisitions to a lot of people now doing like comprehensive panels and people are like, I'm willing to pay because no one's figuring things out. And people are just like throwing the money being like, I don't care how much it is, just figure things out. And so mm -hmm. I'm getting more comfortable with that. And I appreciate having this topic because I think a lot of people were in the same boat as me, where you felt you have like trepidation about asking people for more money for their health. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like I feel like when you when when you're willing to pay the money, you can look for whatever you want rather than being limited by what Ministry of Health deems acceptable. That's right. So yeah, we can okay. fish around a lot more without those restrictions, right? That's all. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I'm excited for this talk. Okay, yeah, so Justin, too. why do you think it's so important, like to your day to day clinical practice? Like, obviously, you, you get your rocks off looking at labs. I get it. I do too. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> It's like a whole new world or perspective of looking at things. But what, why else do you think it's important just like clinically for your patients? I'd say tracking progress is a big one as well, because, you know, if somebody is feeling lousy and let's say they have an iron deficiency and two months later, they're still feeling kind of lousy, but we see that their iron's coming up. It's just a matter of time before they're at that point. So it does gives you, it does give you some objectivity towards progress something to be able to track objectively mm -hmm. i think that's a big part of it for sure and then ruling out things I, I find it helpful a little bit for that too like uh, i think your um your episode on iron really uh I, I think ever since learning a little bit more about iron from you i i think i've gone down uh the lab rabbit hole even more and and i do more and more stuff and i find the same sort of um the same sort of reasons to go into it because like things are not often evaluated um from an optimal perspective they're you know they just put every maybe you could talk about that a little bit how everyone sort of fit into this bell curve and that's that's a major the, sort of under the line of fine yeah and it's yeah. Fine. it's a foundational that's sort of right. pinning that is really important i think for the average person to know and for clinicians to know if they don't already 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, I guess that's the most common thing we hear is someone will get blood work done through their family doctor. And sometimes not even the family doctor tells them. The receptionist will say everything was fine, right? And Mm -hmm. you know that they're just looking to see if something was flagged. And there's like, if you think about hormones, hormones don't even get flagged, right? Because they have to be interpreted. And so there's all these ranges that have been created that kind of like, let's say free testosterone, as an example, when we all first started, the cutoff was less than 28. And now magically, it's less than 56. And there's a labs like the iron that we talked about, or the ferritin where the lab is, or the reference range is five to 272. Oh my God. It drives me nuts. <laughs> I know, honestly, I, have, I need to like sit down with, with life labs and be like, okay, we need to reassess this uh, reference uh-huh. range. Right. Because there, these ranges are basically just making sure you're within that 95%. And they're kind of making sure that maybe you're not going to die, but they're not op- like anywhere near optimal, right? right. Mm-hmm. You don't have X disease, yeah. but it doesn't mean you're great either. That's right. You're struggling for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think labs are just something that we are very uh, fortunate to have access to because they can tell us so much. And uh, like you were saying about the cost, I have like, I originally, when I first started, it was the same thing. I was like writing doctors letters asking to get this, this, and this done. And I haven't done that for years. Like I just basically say, these are the tests that need to be done according to what's going on with you. If you like want to see if your family doctor, cause your doctor's, you know, laid back and is willing to do this stuff. You can always bring this wreck and ask them to check these things off and get OHIP to cover them. But otherwise it'll speed the process up you take this requisition directly to the lab, the results come directly to me, and then I can interpret them. Whereas if you do them through the family doc, you have to make an appointment, which is next to impossible these days. Then you have to get into the lab, which I don't know in your areas, but it's next to impossible in Hamilton. Then you have to wait for the results to come back and then make an appointment with your family doctor to review the results and then get them to me, which is just like, that's weeks that it's gonna take, right? Yeah. So in terms of speeding up the process, I usually just recommend, you know, it's going to cost approximately this amount. It'll be done a lot quicker. And most people, most patients are great with that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's uh, time, energy, money, resources. Right. And so um, in terms of money, I, I think we, we come at the, like I, uh, Michelle was saying, I think at the beginning, like you don't want to ask people to spend more money on, on this sort of stuff, but like, as you get, I think a little bit more comfortable in the exchange of things economically in, in practice, uh, patients don't care, man. Like for the, like for that pain in the arse that you're talking about to that, like administrative pain in the arse and, and, and dependent on many things such as like, I always ask people, what's your, what's your relationship with your doctor? If they want to do yeah, it, I say, what, I what's your too. relationship with your doctor? Because if it's really good and cordial, like I have a guy in town, he'll do whatever I ask. He's not, he's, a, he's actually my doctor. He's a wonderful guy. And um, I think he has a, a certain level of understanding or respect for what we do uh, as naturopaths and maybe just me or you or Michelle or whoever it is, because we're all very different. Um, I don't think any of us are using like a Vega machine. Like maybe if I did that, he maybe wouldn't think that. Yeah, but like, exactly. But I mean, for, I, I think just, I don't know what you get people to, to invest in labs. I would, or you Michelle, but I would say rarely is it a, 
a lot more than 150 bucks for very thorough lab investigation. Like what's, what's it like for you guys? Gem. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm finding like two to 300. Cause if I'm doing a comprehensive lab analysis, plus a thyroid panel, especially for women, then it comes to about three bills. Yeah, right. Don't say max. That'd alone. be the max, right? But that's yeah. the most. That's the most mm -hmm. when it comes to just standard comprehensive. But but you know, and also I just feel like you were talking about the practical side of going through that. But how many times have I people say they have a great relationship with their doctor? He's super cool. He's even opened me seeing a naturopath. That's great, awesome. And then I send them with it, the things that I think are the most relevant, and they they do half right? Yeah. Or they cherry pick or they only run TSH versus a thorough thyroid panel. And then I've run the full thyroid panel. I'm like, and your antibodies are excessively high. So that needs to be understood. Or I'm running liver enzymes and it's crazy. Or I'm running fasting insulin. I don't understand why doctors don't run fasting insulin. It's really I know. Hard. I say that to myself every day. The fasting insulin is so important. Yeah. So, so I, I also appreciate the fact that we're just more explorative and more investigative, the detective side of us. And we end up uncovering a lot of release valuable information to support our clients well-being and i position it that way too to my clients just be yeah. like you you've gotten the standard lab work before and your doctor keeps saying you're fine so why don't we be a little bit more comprehensive about this and see if there's anything else that the body's trying to tell us mm -hmm. that's right and that 150 to 300 is what like a pair of shoes or two you know what i mean like a hair appointment yeah exactly <laughs> I know my wife runs a hair extension business and I have patients who I see them going to see her and not seeing me. <laughs> and it's like, and another thing is if you have benefits, a lot of the benefits will actually cover yes. blood work, right? When we yes. do direct billing. So yeah, it's pretty great. So I feel like everyone should just be a little bit more comfortable with investigating in their health. I, so I have to say though, like most people are, like I, yeah, I, these days, I don't, yeah. I don't run into too many, pro especially when you talk about like what, what you're saying there at the beginning uh, to Justin, like the look, like we can do this, but it's a real pain. I mean, <laughs> 150 bucks to, to do some stuff that is often going to help figure out what's going on or monitor progress. And maybe it's not even done all the time. Like I would say most of my labs, I don't, I'm not doing them all the time. It's not like this is something yeah, exactly. all the time. Right. So. Yeah. Usually you have that more expensive first one. That's kind of like, exploratory investigating and then after that if you're tracking progress it's going to be like less than half the price of that original test right yeah. what are your what are your go-to's justin like what do you find if someone like are there certain ones that you find that you're often recommending for 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 clients like as a good just thorough workup what do you find yeah i know you know what i have to look into the the like the panels that they have to offer just because i i have heard some nds are like running the panels that are pre uh, direct or pre whatever. Um, but I would say my most common would be like CBC, uh, vitamin D this time of year, especially like I like to try to test it between October to January to see where it's at. I always test calcium with vitamin D. We'll go into more detail with this stuff. Um, if like I do run the day 21 estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, if uh, it's indicated, I do run a lot of iron as well as ferritin at the same time. I believe that they should just be combining them. They shouldn't even allow you to test one, like one or the other. And that's a crazy thing we talked about in the iron podcast is like that when you get your testing done through the family doctor, if they check off the ferritin and the iron panel, they'll automatically delete the iron panel. They can't test both at the same time. Right. It must be an old hip. Uh, an old it hip is. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Dave, I think your microphone is a little uh, staticky. I was just going to write him that. Okay. um i would say and there's like there's lots i honestly i run so much blood work i think a good structure for this would just be like we'll kind of go through we'll talk about the things that we just don't test because there are quite a few on here that we don't really do um so yeah do you want want me to start (laughs) yeah dave are you still there and good yeah uh, can you hear me all right yeah yeah, you're good now okay yeah, so like I said, the first two that are on there, the healthy living assessment and enhanced living, uh, healthy living assessment, I haven't really acknowledged those yet. I probably should, but I just haven't had time. I, I'm going to say something I recently did because when I was picking and choosing things, I found that sometimes the labs would miss all the little various check marks. If I just took mm. off the panel, it's more encompassing. And it includes a lot of the things like the liver, the cholesterol, everything is all in there and okay. the vitamin D. So the enhanced living panel is kind of like my go-to now. Okay. Yeah, we'll, yeah, first one off, but just FYI. Well, guys, let's make sure we talk about what's on, on the panel uh, because people may not know exactly yeah. what, what's behind the scenes with what's in the panel. So that includes, do you have that list in front of you? Anyone? I could too, but I know it includes the CBC, ferritin, B12. Um, It includes the iron panel. It includes cholesterol, includes your electrolytes and your calcium. It includes your ESR, your, uh, your inflammatory markers, ESR and HSCRP. It includes vitamin D, um, fasting insulin, fasting glucose, but you have to tell them obviously to go fasting and your HbA1c and kidney markers. Did I say liver enzymes? Cause that's in there too. It's actually pretty comprehensive. And I like that. Your brain is a lot better than my searching skills. So that was great. Thanks. (laughs) Sometimes she works. One thing that's super important (laughs) that I feel like I'll forget to talk about too, is making sure that you do go fasted because what I've been seeing a lot of lately is patients going to get their cholesterol tested and their family doctor saying that they don't have to fast for it anymore. And then all of a sudden their cholesterol looks high. And then if I send them back fasted, their cholesterol is completely fine. Mm. And they, they were prescribed a statin in between. Mm. And I, I just read a stat not too long ago that what you eat can affect your cholesterol levels for up to seven hours. Oh, really? Those ranges, yeah, yeah, yeah. And those ranges are based on a fasted population. So we don't want to be like, you know, snacking down on a bunch of uh, foods that are going to elevate our cholesterol and then right. test. And we, we don't want to abnormally skew our results into a place that mm-hmm. makes us anxious and worried. And frankly, I'm also just not worried about cholesterol for the most part. I think it's honestly We're pretty trigger happy with cholesterol. Yeah. I would say. And I, I, I was just like, I was reading in my book recent, my recent book that I'm reading and he was like, it is just nonsense. It's actually certain countries have shown that higher levels of cholesterol as we age is actually protective against for us. So yeah. our level should kind of increase as we get older. And I was like, well, that's new. Most nobody talks about that. Well, it makes sense, right? The build uh, cholesterol is the build building block of all of our hormones so if our hormones are starting to drop we're going to produce more of the building block to try to make up for that right cholesterol is pretty badass and we need to start giving it the credit it deserves i know and vitamin, but this- and vitamin d precursor right in every yeah. single cell hormones membrane. neurotransmitters brain health like cell membranes it's bile. just getting uh what do they call that thrown under the bus yeah, it's basically getting the blame for other problems in the body because it acts as the body's band-aid for all the problems where it's really, yeah. and I think that's a big part of the education that we do with people coming in with cholesterol. 
and their doctor's saying, oh, it's excessively high and they're freaked out. And I'm like, okay, let's take a look at some of these other parameters, like your blood sugar, like your stress, like your, right? So. Yeah, and running the Reynolds risk score is always good too, right? So, so they can actually see, you know, how relevant their cholesterol is because your What's cholesterol- What's the Reynolds risk score? Reynolds risk score is a more advanced version of the, oh my goodness, what's the other one called? Where it's just a couple. The Framingham? The Framingham? Yeah, yeah, Framingham, that's right. Reynolds risk score takes into account, like if you're a smoker, what your systolic blood pressure is, your right. age, if one of your parents had a cardiac event before 60, like there's a bunch of other parameters. HSCRP, that's cool. Yeah, yeah HSCRP, HDL. So it's just a little bit more comprehensive. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of look at the cholesterol as like, cause there is, there is a lot of debate and there are a lot of factors. Like if somebody has high blood pressure and uh, kind of all the other factors, I like to try to like, if let's say their triglycerides are through the roof, I'm going to want to bring those triglycerides down. Right. Okay. Um, so, and you have to think from it, from the patient's perspective too, it's not really fair for them to have to go from somebody who's scaring them against cholesterol and then, somebody who's saying cholesterol is completely fine. It just leads to that confusion. No, so you kind of have to meet them in the middle and like go through all the factors that you were mentioning, like their blood sugar and insulin and inflammation and all that stuff. Right. And liver health. Liver health. Getting into that one in a big way. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so speaking of that, we have cholesterol next. Yeah. The lipid assessment panel. Um, I do, I do like to run that just as kind of a general, like if we're running the insulin and the blood sugar, the cholesterol is kind of like, especially if somebody's younger, is my mic muting at all? Like, you're good. Okay. Okay. I'm having, I put it on do not disturb and I'm having like a million messages come through for some reason. No, you're clear. Okay. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I do like to run the cholesterol panel and sometimes I'll use that as a frame of reference as well, because if, like I said, with triglycerides, they're supposed to be less than 1.79. And if somebody comes in with a triglyceride level of a three and we do some dietary changes, and then six months later, we see that go down to like less than a one. then we know that we've made huge progress, even if they haven't seen it, you know, visually, like in terms of weight loss or anything. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be motivating in a way too right like some of the like like uh like you're talking about this this lipid panel like like we were talking about maybe a bit of dubious or, or sometimes really helpful and sometimes maybe not the most worrying thing but if that's going to motivate someone too right if someone's very motivated by it hey let's let's help you know get them towards their goal and give them what they want and and how they need what and what they need exactly you know? yeah right yeah and I do have patients who come who are on the keto diet who just want to check on their cholesterol to make sure that it's not like up at a, an eight or a nine or something. And right. Uh, so it is kind of cool to see the variation with that too, because the majority of my keto patients, their cholesterol is like squeaky clean, optimal. And then there are some where it just all of a sudden goes like through the roof, through the roof. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool to like be able to see how different people react to different ways, styles of eating, right? What you're saying, not everybody's the same. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Some people don't um, react the same way to the same diet. I know. Wild. It is wild. Individuality. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> but it's maddening um, too, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wish, true. I almost wish 
it was easier. Like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I don't love that it's a pain in the ass to to individualize things, but you got to do it. Yeah, you yeah. got to do it. It's the cornerstone of good health. <laughs> we also have the thyroid panel, which you brought up, which is very, very important. And um, I run that quite often as well, especially because mostly we're just seeing TSH being tested and everybody told that their thyroid is completely fine. Mm-hmm. But then, and sometimes a more progressive doc will do T4 and they'll say everything's fine. T4 is within the range. But then you have to think T3 is the active thyroid hormone. So we want to see what T3 is actually doing and make sure it's on the higher end, if anything, to be stimulating the, the rest of the tissue. Um, and then if that's low, the thyroid panel gives you reverse T3. So you can see if they're channeling it into reverse T3 instead. And then one really important thing with the thyroid panel is the thyroid antibodies, which is that anti-TPO they brought up. I can't remember what we talked about before we went on air or in what we talked about when we started, but the TPO is huge. Hashimoto's is so common and it is just completely disregarded in the conventional side. And it just blows my mind. Like the cutoff is like, you have to be less than 35. I'll have a patient who's a 500 I'll send the blood work to their family doctor saying, can you do a thyroid ultrasound? And the patient is told this test doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, how can you say such a thing? It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I know. And then we finally convince them to do a thyroid ultrasound and it's like, oh, they have nodules and their thyroid's enlarged and they do have a thyroid issue and it explains all of their issues. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've seen with Hashimoto's is that usually the rest of the thyroid markers don't matter. They'll have a normal TSH, normal T4, normal T3, but as long as their anti-TPO is elevated, their symptoms will correlate with that more than the actual rest of the thyroid panel. Well, isn't it that your antibodies can be elevated for years before it actually affects the TSH and hormone levels? That's what what it seems like. Yeah. Cause I like the ones who have had elevated anti-TPO for years and nothing was done. Usually that's when their TSH starts to come up for sure. But you just mentioned something in in passing there, though, Justin, which I think is really important uh, principle is that we're looking at labs in the context of signs and symptoms in history. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I think some of that stuff that's really basic, I think we should still say, because um, you're probably going to have a lot of these things that you're looking at in most people or in a lot of people. But in other people, you're going to you're going to pick according to signs, symptoms, history. And uh, I'd say doing that, I, I rarely get a, um, a lab, uh, like a, a bunch of results without something found. I always find something. I know. Yeah. I always highlight it in yellow too. And it's just like, I feel like that allows the, or not allows, but the patient, once they see all the yellow, they're like, okay, we have to do something about this. Yeah. Whereas if it's like, yeah, this one's a little bit too high. This one's a little bit too low. Then they don't care as much. Right. So I do find that that's helpful for sure. And then we're also like working in optimal ranges rather than just reference ranges. So even then it's not just what's flagged by the lab. It's also what's going to actually get you to where you, how you want to feel and make your body work at its best. So I'm already highlighting stuff that hasn't been flagged. Yeah. And I imagine yeah, you guys sure. are doing the same thing. So then you're going through it and like the client comes in being like, Oh, it's so only like two things are flagged. And I'm like, well, and then I'm circling a bunch of stuff and they're like, Oh my God. Right. I so know. Yeah, but there's a trend, right? Like that's another thing I find um, 
generally conventional. I think Justin sort of uh, breezed over it, but you know, in the conventional view of labs, I think unless something's off, there's nothing's really said about it. And each thing is looked at sort of independently as just a that's that's just that there. Yeah. As opposed to like, okay, maybe sometimes um, maybe you guys get this too, but I'll find like one thing that's like off from a conventional sort of like mm-hmm. perspective. And then I look at I look at the other, I use the right side of my brain and sort of look at this trends in other things that might be clinically related, anatomically related, or somehow related to that result. And you go, you know what, they're all sort of, they're not off, but they're like, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel or whatever. So um, I think that's cool too, is when you look at labs from the, from the, with the right side of your brain a bit too, and just sort of try and find the red thread, put it all together. Yeah. Put it all together with the symptoms and everything else that's showing Mm -hmm. up. Totally. Which takes a while. I mean, it it, it's it's not like a. I found some red on your lab. Good here, call. That's it. You know what I mean? It it does take a while. How long does it take you guys to go through lab review with people usually? Oh, it's a good fifteen to twenty minutes because I'm going through everything so. with my clients. They appreciate it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I know. I I literally had somebody today where we booked a half an hour. I don't know what I was thinking. I booked a half an hour follow up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was expecting to get through. I know what you were thinking. I bet Justin, but I'm not going to say that? <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I'll tell, I'll tell you after <laughs> poor time management. Um, that's one of the ongoing joke with my wife that I fly by the seat of my pants. That's like the story of my life. But anyways, uh, so yeah, I figured like, let's do half an hour. We'll talk about nutrition. We'll talk about the blood work. And like, we barely got through the blood work in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. And because there's so much to it, like I, I break down and you guys probably do too. I break down every single lab that was done, even if it wasn't abnormal, just because people love to hear like your kidney is functioning very well or your kidneys are functioning very well. Um, and, you know, there's no signs of a bacterial infection or a virus or allergies. Like I try to go through it as thorough as possible. Uh, and I always go through their previous stuff, too, and I'll compare uh, if I'm able to, I'll compare it to, like to get a pattern, like all oh, your ferritin was a seven and then it went up to a 20 after two months. And now it's up to an 80 after six months, just to kind of, you know, go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. So thyroid panel, good thing to do. Yes. Um, the rest of the panels, I don't really, do you guys do the other panels at all? Like, um, the only panels I I really do, uh, and if it's if I suspect uh, thyroid issues, then obviously that one, um, which is I think about a hundred bucks. Um, I'm also looking at those anti TGs um, on that the thyroid panel. Yeah. Oh, the uh, anti thyroglobulin. Thyroglobulin, yeah. Right, so right. I just I'm I, basically one of the reasons I want to know if there's antibodies is I always say, look, person, <laughs> lovely patient of mine, I'm like, you've got autoimmune disease and. Every time I have someone with autoimmune disease, I, I have a little, I cry a little tear because it's just a little bit harder and I mm. feel bad for them. I, and I think in terms of like building uh, expectations for treatment, I, I want to know if antibodies are there because I, I want to be able to tell them, look, you've, you've got some autoimmune stuff going on and, and I'm sorry, but it's going to, you're going to have to work harder than someone who didn't. Yeah. Um, and so I like to know that. The other one I, I do for panels a lot of the time um, which will be of probably no real surprise to you guys is the liver digestion panel. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do love that one. But I find that if I just do, because I'm getting a lot of people who haven't seen their medical doctors 
in two to three years because of the mm-hmm. pandemic really or hot or and don't eat. Can you remember the last time they had blood work, but they have so many things. So I'm just like, let's just run a comprehensive. Let's just be thorough right off the bat. And then yeah. we can be very discerning after because there's so many things happening. I'm like, Ooh, I bet you there's a lot of pieces that connect. Um, and I'd rather just be there up front. So I find, but I have independently run that liver digestive panel and I've, and I find that interesting to see those liver 10 bucks. A bit elevated. Yeah. It doesn't cost a lot either. It's 10 mm-hmm. bucks. Yeah. yeah. You save quite a bit there. And that one thing I wanted to mention about the thyroid antibodies too, if you want to say that there's something cool about them is that now we have something to measure objectively our progress for yeah. their autoimmunity or for yeah. the thyroid, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's cool to see that. Like, you know, they're at maybe a 300 and you give them, you replete their vitamin D and it goes down to a 150 and you take weed out and it goes down to an 80. Like it's kind of cool to track it that way, right? Yeah. So you said vitamin D. What's your sweet spot for vitamin D? Where do you typically want to see people when it comes to lab work, Justin? I prefer 120 to 160. That's kind of my good, sweet spot. Good zone. Yeah, good juicy zone. I've had patients symptomatic in the 80s and like some pretty crazy things. Like I just had somebody actually where I didn't even expect it, but they had carpal tunnel syndrome. I think they're between like 80 to 85 and I got them on vitamin D, no other interventions and the carpal tunnel syndrome actually resolved. Just, <laughs> yeah. And I've had yeah. patients in like the fifties with bone pain. I had one in particular who was like really bad bone pain and getting worked up for like bone cancer and they were doing bone scans and all these crazy testing no one tested vitamin D and ended up being, I believe it was a 56. And, uh, well, she was on vitamin D liquid for like maybe three weeks and the bone pain was completely gone after that. Like, it's just crazy. The amount of things that it can contribute to. That is one that I just, I, I tell people, I look, I say, look, if you, if, if you're okay with it, let's just run it. Like I find 35% at least of my very sort of predominantly Caucasian pale people are low. And, you know, arguably that's one of the only reasons to have this pale, thin skin is to make sure that your vitamin D doesn't like, you know, go into the basement in the winter. Right. Um, and I find even in the middle of summer, like I don't, I don't have a seasonal sort of preference. I just, I get mm-hmm. it in everyone. Cause like, guys, come on. Like, is how many, how many issues don't have implications for vitamin D? Like it's, I mean, it's I know. so important. Right. And that's, 37 bucks well spent you're going to spend it with your medical doctor anyway if yeah. you even can i'm like i got about three that i'm no nonsense with it's vitamin d uh the iron panel the, that's probably the yeah you know what it's at least it's at least those two in terms of vitamins, cbc but, right probably cbc yeah oh, sorry with, vitamins? sorry like vitamins yeah like go, i i used to run vitamin b12 more but i it can go kind of you can get some whack yeah, Some you, like, stuff I find it can get food. really variable depending on people where people are in their healing in their healing crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. And then yeah. Paul Paul Anderson, uh, he wrote some interesting stuff uh, about vitamin uh, B12, how it can when there's hematological issues, sometimes it's falsely elevated. You get some weird like if someone's not taking B12 and their B12 is really really high, uh, that's weird and it needs to be investigated. And then. I think I learned about, you know, there's another one where levels are important. Like I think in Japan, the level of low vitamin B12 is like 500 or something. Yeah. Starts at like it 600 to like a thousand or something. And I'm like, yeah, why is ours 
count. Yeah, because what's ours like one sixty seven or yeah, something like that? I think it's one thirty eight to six fifty two or something. six. Yeah, something ridiculous like that. And then they're always flagged at like seven hundred. I'm like, now nah, you're fine. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and the, the other thing is like with that one, I think it even says I don't I don't know if I've seen it on every time I've got it back though, but on on results it'll say like half of the people or one third of the people with a level below this will have like irreversible nerve damage. Well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like Why that's not optimum. <laughs> Why would we want them hovering around that edge? Yeah. I what know, a low I standard. Know. Yeah. Well, you know what standards. I see clinically anybody before 400 seems to have limbs that fall asleep a lot quicker. Yep. And then, and everyone can relate to that. So I usually try to get them if hmm. it's, you know, below 400, they can kind of use that as a barometer if they're feeling better, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but vitamin D, yeah. Another thing that's important with that too is to make sure that we test calcium uh, levels with vitamin D, just because if the calcium levels are high and you take vitamin D, you can be at risk of kidney stones very, fairly easily. So I always test those two hand in hand. Which one are you testing? The are you, t- you testing regular serum. serum? Serum? Okay, not um, not your ionized. No, I I just stick to the serum. Calcium. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and yeah. Just so, just I always recommend watching out for that. And if somebody is going to go through their family doctor, just to make sure they ask for cal- calcium as well, so we know that because no one wants kidney stones. Any other electrolytes? Are you are you measuring at the same time? Are you measuring any uh, sodium, potassium, magnesium, any of that stuff? Uh, you know what, like I do them here and there, depending if somebody's doing like, you know, overexerting themselves or they're feeling super lousy in the mornings. But are you like, do you mean just in general or correlated with vitamin D? Uh, no, just like in general, like if you're, cause I'm torn on that one. That's one, that's one that recently I've been ordering more just to get an idea from a kidney perspective and nervous system perspective. I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard because you kind of have to, um, it's, they're only a couple bucks each, but you kind of do have to ex- experiment in a, in a way because because clinical understanding of things is not always the same as like what we just get taught or read in books. Right. So I'm trying to find correlates um, a lot of the time and and um, trying to do like how you've done with iron. You find correlates. Of, okay, it's actually this level where I clinically find this is very relevant, uh, even though, um, you know, the levels might be normal or whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying with like twitching, say someone's got twitching and, and sort well, of for like, sure. yeah. And then I'm going to look at electrolytes and then yeah. it's interesting to have a view at their, of their kidneys from that perspective too. I think the like you touched on too, is, is that most, most references for labs are still speaking about reference ranges. So that optimal area and, or even ratios, like what's my potassium to sodium yeah, yeah, supposed to be, what's one. this and ratios and stuff. And even like I, when we talked about on the parasite podcast that I had with you, and I was talking about the ratios of the white blood cell breakdown, the differentials compared to the total and looking at percentages and not just what's in reference range. Cause there's supposed to be a certain ratio of them. Yeah. And I find a lot of things for lab references. They don't give you that information. So it, you have to start to just be more of that, like I, for lack of better words, detective, even though we use that a lot, like there's not a lot of those references that help you really put the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, I agreed. I also find with the electrolytes that it's very rare for them to be like, even if somebody is like dehydrating the crap out of themselves, they're rarely abnormal on paper, unless somebody's mm-hmm. like three days in a hospital or their kidneys are right. screwed. Right. Yeah. And so 
I do look at them like if somebody's coming with palpitations, twitching, I'll, I'll check them to see if like potassium is too high or if they're having like a lot of coconut water and stuff like that. But I find that uh, I'm interpreting them more coming from the conventional docs rather than me running them personally. Right, right. Just because I don't see them outside of the, like, you know what I mean? They're, mm. I don't know. I well, they are more like suited in some ways to like more acute care. Like I know if you, yeah. if you have, if you go to the, um, you have to go to the hospital with the emergency room, it's, they're going to run your electrolytes most of the time yeah. just because mm -hmm. they're, I mean, on the, I talk about this with patients too, like hierarchies of importance of things, yeah. uh, like pH, uh, electrolytes, blood sugar, oxygen. I so boring. This stuff's so boring, but it's so important to, keep, to remember though. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's why I, I'm glad you brought up the, the insulin and, and fasting insulin and fasting glucose too. Because, and that's a newer thing I've added. And I think that's, me too. Know, is it? I yeah. Know, I haven't, I, I was doing, the we didn't learn it in school too much, right? No, but the no. fasting insulin and recently I've been doing that HOMA the, IR is what you're looking for when you're HOMA doing the, IR, but yeah. I've also been doing the fasting, the insulin glucose challenge recently to see how things move on a two hour mark, because that's also even more functionally relevant than just a static number. And I'm trying to understand how to decipher that one too. Um, because that's important to see how the body actually moves because some people overcompensate, undercompensate, like, mm -hmm. like, it's just, it's wild to see those results coming. And I've only started running it a few times. So I'm hoping to get a little bit better at that one. I'm, I'm interested in that test, but I feel like patients will hate me. If I send them oh yeah. Away. I pre-warned them. I was like, don't oh, hate the me. Two hour you, gotta, <laughs> you gotta drink a disgusting drink. But yeah. if I think it's really relevant, if I, if I yeah, think yeah. that it's enough for me to understand insulin versus glucose fasting and do the home IR. I do that. But then there's some of my clients where I'm just kind of like, especially weight loss clients who are really struggling. I'd like to know how that dynamic is happening. Mm. So yeah, no, that test is huge. And I, I literally, I think I've been running it maybe in the last year, year and a half. And I'm like, how the heck have I not been known about yeah, this same. or been testing it? Same, man. It's crazy. Even yeah. just doing home IR, there's so many people who are insulin resistant. And I was like, I'll literally tell them, go ask your doctor. And they're always like, you don't need this test. And then I run it and I'm like, can you go back and show your doctor that you're insulin resistant? <laughs> can we mm -hmm. have this conversation now? <laughs> they still won't believe them though, because no. they need to see it above that, like 180, um, you know what I mean? Like the objective. Oh man, it's crazy. There. I know That one drives me crazy because of those hierarchies of like blood, blood. I remember from teaching physiology briefly, uh, you know, that's one of the main causes of aging is glycosylation of tissues. Mm -hmm. If you don't get a handle on like blood sugar, it ain't pretty. Everything and is masked. It's every, it screws up everything. It's okay. like not having enough oxygen. Dumb, <laughs> never good. Never, not. never good. <laughs> not good. And, and it's, you know, the conventional, again, the conventional understanding is you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. 20 years later, you've got diabetes. Like, no, I you know. don't. Yeah. You had insulin resistance for the last two decades, yeah. you numpty. It's like, only you're fine until you're not fine. And then it's like, oh, all hands on deck. And it's like, yeah, but you could have just looked at this exactly. in the years prior. Same with vitamin D. I just want to circle back. I've literally had people come back to me and say their doctor thinks it's irrelevant to run vitamin D because it's always low around this time. So there's no mm -hmm. point running it. And then they don't even recommend anything. And I'm like, how, how is this? Well, wait, wait. I think there's give, mm. if, it, if this is Ontario, yeah. give a little, so you have to give a little bit of, extra um i worked with a medical doctor briefly for about a year and a half and he he started he was cool he was starting to test like vitamin d and stuff because he could do it for free at that point mm -hmm. um and and ohip 
OHIP gave him a notice. They said, stop testing. Just assume everyone is low. Right. And I'm like, but Wait. nothing was done about it either. Yeah. Exactly. There's no follow. And then he's like, like it's, nor- it's normal to be low at this time. I'm but like, they have no, to follow their, never I feel bad for yeah. them in some ways, right? Because they got to follow their damn algorithms and they go, they'll get dinged. If they if they test stuff they're not supposed to in the wrong order or whatever. And that's what I tell clients because they're like, why don't he, why won't he run if it's so important? And I was like, well, they're the probably being told they're not allowed or there's certain exactly. restrictions of what they can and can't do, which is why I try to encourage them to just run things through me and then we can just yeah. get the job done. But exactly. it's mind blowing. Sometimes people come back and they're like, I don't understand why my doctor said that. And I'm like, well, let's just let's just run it. Yes. <laughs> and move forward. <laughs> I feel like a bit of a conspiracy theorist when I say it, but I do think it's a way of increasing global sickness. If you, if people don't know where they're biting. Oh, you're opening Pandora's box, Justin. (laughs) Um, Didn't expect to hear that from you, Justin. (laughs) If you don't test people's vitamin D and a vitamin D deficiency will increase your duration and um, decrease your ability to fight off infections and viruses, people are going to be more sick. They're going to be more tired, more depressed, no motivation. It's going to lead to osteoporosis, osteopenia. And I, this is heavy, but it, the deficiency can predispose you to certain types of cancers as well. Yeah. And so it's like, why not stop testing it and just shove it under the rug? And then Maybe that's boom. why they also don't be fasting insulin, since insulin resistance is a huge driving force of chronic health. And that's why yeah, they don't ask people to go fasting things. cholesterol. And then they get like, your cholesterol's high. Here's a statin. Like. those are are easy hits those are easy hits right those are easy easy hits um for for i think um the conventional uh, i would like to assume that doctors are doing their due diligence with what they think they're doing but then on the back of my mind i'm that conspiracy theorist like you justin being like is this basically to drive profits in a certain direction like i don't know (laughs) i don't think it is i think i honestly think they're just just the system it's they're just following uh it, but in, that's what i mean the sore like the root feeding into the system i don't mean like family doctors no, individually i feel no, like it was but like, like i system. think the system is built in a way that yeah it's got flaws oh my sure. god sure there's don't flaws let's say me. flaws oh, yeah there's got some flaws. there's flaws, flaws. <laughs> there's lots of flaws <laughs> okay justin <laughs> i want to ask yeah i want to i want to ask you about another one like a um another couple of tests that I run all the time and just get your perspective. Yeah. On yeah. Um, see, I used to run HSCRP, high sensitivity CRP. Now they don't seem to run it. So I had to sort of recalibrate my understanding of CRP, but well, CRP, they say, to, they say to interpret it within the CRP now. Right. So if there are, if there's CRPs around like a two or a three, they're saying that you're supposed to interpret that as their HSCRP. Okay. Oh, they run it, they run it for me when I've asked for it. HSCRP? Life Labs has? I know Dynacare yeah. does, but Life Labs oh, I don't, won't. I don't when I run the, it's on the, it's, I'm pretty sure that's one of the ones on the Comprehensive Healthy Living panel, and it's and it's, and it's a high-sensitivity one, and then it's always maybe run for me. A, I got sent a, a notice that they're not running it anymore. Really? Yeah. Me too. Because you know I ran else? it I got... on everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I was too. It's such a great... Maybe that's why they're like, you're spending too much. Yeah. Uh, they also, I just got an email saying that the SIBO testing is being, uh, that, that one's from ICL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because but other labs are okay. To do it yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess that one, because it has to go through the hospital with a breath test. And they said something about there being not a lack great of- time to do a lot of breath tests, you know, well, for I mean, non- I, 
for non-emergent uh, uh, cases. I would, yeah. I, I bet that's what they're thinking. So. It's a kit though, isn't it? Like, don't they bring the kit home and provide the breath sample and then ship it off to the Yeah, hospital? they do. I, I know that there was during, during the last two years, it's been on and off with certain SIBO tests because they are quote unquote breath tests. And some of them were completely removed from our ability. And then the one that goes through, is it St. Mary's? I can't remember which hospital yeah, it is, but there's some hospital. And they just said, due to lack of personnel because of the Omicron. Yeah, understaffed, yeah. So I was like, okay. Yeah, that literally came out today, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it did. Sorry, okay. David, I didn't mean to Yeah, so back, there. that's okay. So back to the ESR and CRP, uh, just your thoughts on, on those $2 tests. <laughs> yeah, I like to run them because they are so cheap, but I always uh, will warn the patient that they're not 100%. Because I've had people with like disfiguring rheumatoid arthritis and their CRP and ESR was completely fine. And then I've had others where we're like, we don't know what's inflamed and they're through the roof. But mm -hmm. I do there, you know, there's kind of a, some patients where when they're slightly elevated, then you can at least use that as a functional marker of like reducing their inflammation. Um, so I do run them often, especially because they are so cheap for sure. So what do you consider slightly elevated for the two of those for ESR first? ESR, I don't like it to see it above a 12. I know their cutoff is a 30, but it seems to correlate clinically. Like if it's like a 12 or 15, they definitely have some inflammation going on somewhere. I go even and then lower. if it's I've gone lower. lower. I've yeah. told I've told between two to five. I've yeah, I've heard some five, people okay. reference that. Even even like, yeah, when I see five or six, I'm already because I see so many, I do it on everyone because it's two yeah. I do it on everyone. And because of that, I think I've seen five, six, seven, that level already start to show a bit of like, oh, okay, that's good to know. Yeah. 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 See, that's two, where the I've clinical experience five. comes in. Yeah. Yeah. What two about, five, what yeah. about HSCRP? I've always heard under one is ideal. HSCRP under one for sure. And then the CRP, you could kind of interpret it the same way, right? Like I know their cutoff for that is a five, but I tried to just get it as low as possible. And mm -hmm. when you have these like health freaks that come in, usually theirs is undetectable, right? So I do strive to get it as low as possible for sure. One thing with the ESR too, is that if it's like super high, that's when, and if they're having headaches, that's when you want to rule out that temporal arteritis or any type of artery inflammation, right? Mm. it's also a crazy high it just seems like a crazy high cutoff like i had someone i think I they had polymyalgia rheumatica and mm -hmm. i think theirs was like 43 or something and, th and this person was like debilitating polymyalgia mm -hmm. rheumatica like if that is just breaking into the zone of it's very I mean, true. Like, yeah i don't know i just i found that that to be uh, kind of striking i know and you'll see like somebody will be up there and then they'll be go down to like a 20 or an 18. And because that number is fine, they're basically like told that they're okay, even though they're still, you know, yeah. suffering. suffering. Right? Yeah. Crazy. What's a couple other ones you, uh, you find yourself uh, checking a lot, Justin? Liver enzymes for sure. ALT, yeah. AST. And I do like to see those in the teens. I find clinically if they're like in the thirties or forties, it's usually contributing to fatty liver. If it's not due to like alcohol consumption mm -hmm. or, and, um, so yeah, I'd strive to get those into the teens. Um, uh, I am starting to write or starting to test albumin a little bit more. Cause I have noticed that if albumin's elevated, that actually seems to show up in blood work in dehydration more than the electrolytes being imbalanced. Oh, yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. And as a bonus, you're testing their liver and like for any crazy liver kidney pathology. So it's kind of a good um, test to do. Mm -hmm. I offer the blood typing as well, because some people are interested in that. I know there's a lot of controversy over that, but I'm more, I'm more instead of it guiding what you're eating, I always recommend people putting it into their phone into that in case of emergency thing. And then Mm. they get into an accident paramedic can see what their blood type oh, yeah. is which okay. is kind of cool never mm. actually thought about that what how, what's the cost on a blood type i think it's like it's 10 inexpensive bucks. yeah it's 10 inexpensive. bucks probably right like it's like yeah too yeah. Much. yeah okay cool yeah never thought about that hmm. i i rarely run aldosterone or acth might as well just go through and um i do run alp quite a bit alkaline phosphatase and I'll run that, especially if somebody's having upper abdominal pains, because it can be an indicator that the common bowel duct is inflamed if mm-hmm. it is high. That's a good one for clinicians to know. Good, yeah, good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I rarely run the amino acid fractionation quantitation or whatever that's all about. <laughs> uh, I do run the, if somebody comes in with abdominal pain, or you guys will like this, if their stools are kind of weird, uh, I'll run amylase and lipase as well. Mm. And uh, obviously, if those are high, they indicate uh, amylase will indicate chronic pancreatitis, whereas lipase will indicate acute pancreatitis. And if they're low, then if amylase is low, you're not going to be digesting carbs very well. And if lipase is low, you won't be digesting fats very well. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of cool. And those are super cheap as well, right? They're like eight bucks together, I think. Um, I didn't know that. Rarely, I, thought, I didn't know they were that inexpensive. That's yeah, I, yeah, I've honestly never run those enzymes. Even being in gastrointestinal health, I've never run those enzymes because usually just you know, like by looking at their poops and looking at other things, I'm kind of like, all right, we got to support some stuff there. But well, I got into them because of my own bout of pancreatitis. Actually, oh yes, <laughs> it was the beginning of the pandemic. Like I all of a sudden I went to a stag and doe. I woke up the next day and I was like suffering big time and a week went by and i'm like i'm not getting any better like this isn't food poisoning so i went and i couldn't get into my doctor so i went to a life labs and um at the time it was so fresh pandemic the only screening question was was i have been was or have i been to wuhan china in the last week or two (laughs) and um so i i had the blood work done and my uh lipase was through the roof and uh, then I had that kind of got me in just like experiencing hemochromatosis got me into the iron. I, I kind of did a deep dive into the pancreas and nice. I've caught on to quite a few um, cases of uh, pancreatitis that because personally, when I was getting these little hints of pancreatitis and I thought it was indigestion like over the years. Hmm. And then all of a sudden I got it like super intense. And then I realized it was my pancreas that was inflaming. So it's been, so, it was chronic because your lipase was elevated, right? Okay. Well, it was acute because the lipase was elevated. Um, the amylase is for the chronic. My amylase was fine, uh, but you kind of have to go like if you're if somebody is actively experiencing that pain at that time, you want to do lipase. And if somebody's just like here and there, maybe like weekly getting abdominal pains, that's when amylase would be more relevant. But I just test them both together because they're so cheap, right? Yeah, yeah, nice. But yeah, they can be very useful. And then that sometimes will indicate, um, like, let's say if amylase or lipase are low, it'll indicate that maybe they have to go on a digestive enzyme for a bit or do something to help their pancreas secrete those enzymes a little bit better. 
Um, we do have access to anti-mullerian hormone, which I don't really test too often unless it is a fertility case. It's nice mm -hmm. to see that number. ANA, I do test a lot as well. And this has been another infuriating test that I run. Um, I will, I'll test it if there's like random pains, like they can't determine the cause of whatever pain is going on, or if they have ray nodes, like there's quite a few indications and it comes back positive. And I don't know if you guys have the same experience in your area, but when I send this test to a rheumatologist or an immunologist, it is not a fun experience. They do not like when we, when I run this test and it becomes positive and it's nothing but backlash after that. And it, it's a very unfortunate though, because then that like, they're not able to get the ENAs run, right? Like the extractable nuclear antigens, which is the next step to figure out what's going on. Do you guys, what about you guys? Like, have you guys had that experience at all where you find a positive ANA and catch some flack or? Most of my ANA clients were already investigated because of chronic okay. issues. Yeah, so they, they were done through the medical system and come back and then, but still being like, we don't know what to do with this. Here's some steroids. And I'm kind of like, oh, okay, let's heal your gut. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. No, I, I am like very frequently the first person to find a positive hmm. ANA. And I do run it a lot in chronic hives and see a positive mm. comeback as well. Um, so yeah, that's a, a key test that I do like to run. Chronic uh, hives, eh? Yeah, especially there's been, I don't know if you guys have seen a lot of that, but it's, uh, I am seeing a lot of these cases with, since like, I would say probably last November, there's been all these cases where all of a sudden they just have hives and they're just, trying to figure out what's going on some of them are autoimmune i had a guy seeing... just recently uh rashes um uh like crazy rashes but um only since the vaccine uh he got he got vaccinated. okay yeah so, through his immune system for uh i think so i mean I, I, i'm no like i could get crucified for saying all that sort of stuff but also but... even with like long covid people's long-term re reactions and i was just doing something about that through health masters and talking about how the immune system and people's resolutions and inflammatory markers and the gut microbiome having a lot to do with that and a lot of weird random stuff come up as like just long covid i think mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. right? People are just not rebounding the way they need to, because we were all already unhealthy as a society to begin with. So yeah. it's, it's really difficult to recover, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Okay. I have one other one before I see that time is running out. I have another important one to go through and then, yeah, we should do a part two. We could probably do a part 20 if we really wanted to. I know. Um, and I do love this. Like I'm, like I told you guys, you guys are great to talk to. And I love discussing blood work. Cause I feel like it's, I don't get to talk to anybody else about it. And <laughs> <laughs> but I tell my wife, she's like, okay. I know. I tell James and he's like, can you stop being a naturopath already? Can we just like watch a Marvel's movie and just, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so let's nerd out for a few more minutes. Yeah, like give, give, give okay, us okay. a few, give us a few more like, uh, to, like top hits for you. Yeah. Okay, creatinine EGFR is, yeah. is huge, right? And creatinine is more of an indication of how much protein your body's dealing with leading into that test. And EGFR, or estimated glomerular filtration rate, is the, your kidney function or your filtration rate of your kidneys. And that GFR is directly correlated with the creatinine. So the higher the creatinine, the lower the GFR. 
Optimally, I like to see the GFR above an 80. And if it's below a 60, that's when you definitely have to worry about the kidneys. And I've had a couple cases because this is another test where they're not told to fast. Mm. And I had one case in particular that stands out, but a lot of them. But this one guy, he was doing paleo. He had a roast in the morning. And so I should take a step back. So he approached me saying that he had stage three kidney disease because his GFR was down to like a 40. And I said, and I asked, I said, well, did you eat anything the day of the blood work? And he's like, I did the blood work around noon and I had a pot roast for breakfast. And, um, and this was my first visit this, like, I wasn't the one who said eat pot roast for breakfast or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tested him fasted. And his GFR went from in the 30s or 40s to the 80s or 90s. Damn. Yeah. And the closer you have a high dose of protein to that blood test, the higher your creatinine is going to be. And then all of a sudden that's going to show that low kidney function. So I always recommend doing it fasted. And even then, if somebody has a crazy high protein dinner, I'll say like, take it easy with the protein on the dinner the night before, if you're going to be testing at like eight in the morning. And it usually does show a lot better. And See, that- Justin, that's why you're going to keep getting calls to come back on the show. <laughs> well, isn't thank there, you. Isn't there but something about also thyroid testing being fasting? Is, I remember hearing something about more recently that we should be going in a fasting state for thyroid. Have you guys heard that? The only thing that I've heard, like it says. You have the option, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have the option. I usually just say go fasted no matter what. The only exception to that would be if food aggravates somebody's digestive system. Sometimes I'll get them to actually aggravate their system and then go test their amylase and lipase and Mm -hmm. GGT and ALP. But otherwise, I I just recommend getting it fasted uh, no matter what. The only thing that I've heard of with the thyroid panel is that they should not be having biotin, anything with biotin in it for like, I don't know how long. I usually just say make sure it's been about a week or more because mm-hmm. biotin can throw so many different tests off. That's actually an important concept for this like test that. or for this talk too. Yeah, they use biotin in the assays for something like 30 plus tests. And so you can get at, uh, falsely abnormal results if you had took like 10,000 micrograms of biotin. Cool. Never knew that. No? So that's yeah, yeah. Good, good clinical See? pearl, Justin. That's why Thank he's on the show. Much. <laughs> um, so yeah, creatinine, GFR, I run all the time. And like I said, if you guys ever see that, just make sure, because they're telling people that they don't have to fast anymore. And I have a suspicion it's because it's so hard to get into labs these days. They're just saying like, go at three, don't worry about fasting. But then all of a sudden these type of issues are popping up and then somebody's falsely being told that they have kidney disease or that their cholesterol is high or whatever, right? Yeah. And not everyone can be there all at eight o'clock to get their fasting labs done. So I imagine that's a bit of a shit show for the labs. I know. And they're apparently understaffed these days as well. Who isn't understaffed these days? I know somebody just one of (laughs) like somebody just wrote, uh, it was an Instagram post and he took a bunch of pictures of like help wanted, help wanted. And they're like, what is going on these days? And I was saying, I think it's because I'm telling too many of my patients to pursue their passion and get out of their toxic (laughs) uh, workplace. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which can be the best thing for your health. it's unbelievable it's like just as bad as being in a toxic relationship like it's 
when patients come in with like migraines and they know their job is toxic and the people there are toxic, you can give them all the magnesium and whatever you want, but it's not going to go away till they leave that job for sure. Yeah, no, I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's true. Yeah, I do want to talk about the CBC, but I think it is expansive enough that we should just start maybe part two with that. Because the CBC, there's just so many factors uh, with it. So, yeah. Um, And maybe to leave this off, celiac testing is covered by OHIP from now until January 24th, apparently, if the family doctor does it. So get those patients in to do their celiac testing if it's indicated. And only one third of adults with celiac disease have digestive issues, which is kind of crazy to think about. I've had to tell people that. There was always this one wild story was it Jonathan Beatty told me because he oh, yeah, yeah. like a lot yeah and he said he had a client who was diagnosed with fibromyalgia like 50 20 years prior chronic aches and pains comes to see him does food sensory testing they do a celiac test it comes back positive she goes for the biopsy and the technician was like yo man the destruction in the intestinal tract was unbelievable probably like 15 20 years coincidentally when she was given that diagnosis they cleaned things up not a digestive issue at all mm-hmm. weird and then fibromyalgia in quotations went away after getting rid of the yeah so like it's not always going to show up with gut issues so i i hear you on that one yeah let's let's leave it with that that's a good nugget yeah it was a good nugget (laughs) we'll talk well you know what we'll have to talk about fibromyalgia another time too yeah that's a that's a interesting topic it's a diagnosis of exclusion but nothing's really ever excluded yeah and then it's it's diagnosed it's up there with ibs eh, Michelle? yeah i was just gonna I know there's, yeah. I, I tell people, well, you guys probably might say this too, but I, I try to rename IBS IDK because they're just saying, I don't I know, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the fancy term. It's just like, if somebody has migraines, just saying like, oh yeah, you have chronic migraine syndrome. There's your name for it. So live yeah. your life mm-hmm. now. Right? There you go. Here's, yeah. And here's a, here's a painkiller. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on guys. This is awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We'll do it again. Uh, and it's it's all it's it's all the other stuff, you know, without trying to blow too much smoke up your 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 arse. It's, oh, you uh, can blow it all up. If okay, <laughs> it's it's all the it's the important details that a guy like you is going through that I really think people will enjoy. Clinicians and and people like like the idea of eating that protein dinner before the creatinine. Like, man, that that practical side that you bring to this sort of stuff is is uh, the profession needs it and uh, patients. Uh, need to hear it too so thank you so much for for bringing that thank you thanks for having me on and yeah we'll do the next one soon send me that invite okay we'll do it love it okay you guys have a good night and a happy new year you too happy new year Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada.